Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte. Skinny Jason Stark <laughs> is against humanity. Take away the human elements of Starkville. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings, and welcome to a very special Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. And we do this every week. So if you enjoy listening, please subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. And if you enjoy these shows, it would be really cool if you would give us a review. Thank you. But Doug, you know what's even more cool about this show than usual? We've got Drew Carey here, my friend. I said Drew Carey. Incredible. Honestly, man. How cool is that? We're, we're hitting the big time, man. We're hitting the big time. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling the love. Yeah. Feeling the love. Yeah. We're, just, we're opening the gates to Starkville, and they're streaming. <laughs> streaming into town. Uh, Drew Carey's the best. Uh, last year at the All-Star Game, remember we had All-Star Games? Remember that? Yeah, sometimes. Uh, I, yeah. I was with a couple of my buddies at the All-Star Gala at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and we saw Drew. And so we just went up to introduce ourselves, and this is what he says. Hey, where are you guys going? I'll walk around with you. <laughs> okay. So then he like hung out with us, and he even took a selfie of him with us. Uh, we'll post it somewhere so you can see it. Uh, he's awesome. I'm sure this is going to be an awesome show. But first, I want to talk about a story I wrote for The Athletic last week that was, seriously, one of the most emotional, most moving pieces I have ever worked on. It was a story about Richard Dotson. Uh, He's the old White Sox pitcher, uh, and he made a remarkable discovery recently. His sister had given him one of those ancestry DNA test kits for Christmas like a decade ago. It sat in a drawer for years. He finally takes his DNA test and Doug, here is what he learned. His biological father was a guy named Dick Farrell. People called him Turk. And what makes that amazing is they never met. They never spoke. They never knew each other. Pretty certain they never even knew of each other. But Richard Dotson pitched in the big leagues for over a decade, and so did the father that he never knew. Uh, Doug, this story literally gave me goosebumps because how could you not think about this and wonder, was this coincidence or was there something else at work here? What do you think? Well, Jay, that was such a masterful piece of writing. I mean, that mm. that was really powerful. And, you know, because I, I think it captured so much of what we talk about with family and baseball, you know, and and even this game, you know, whether it's some spiritual DNA connection of how these two men were both successful major league pitchers and, you know, connected by 
you know, some invisible strand. Uh, yes, there's talent, but there's something about that extra thing it takes to to be able to reach the pinnacle of your career, even beyond talent, opportunity, luck, health, all these things. And, and, and just to think about how in this, you know, wild 2020 season that we can find these connections that you know, players didn't know existed, people didn't know existed, you know, and it mixes that mystique of baseball, the, the poetry, the secrets, the questions, uh, and, and yet the continuity of it. So I, I just love this story. I absolutely recommend everybody listening to read this. I mean, it, it's, it's so powerful. You know, there are just so many uh, incredible elements to this story. Um, Rich, Richard Dodson's mom, before she died about five years ago, had hinted to the kids that there might be a family secret that they would learn someday. So they had this mystery that they had never figured out. And then one day out of the blue, uh, he gets a message uh, on the Ancestry site from a woman who says, I think we're first cousins. Yeah. And if we are, that means your father was my uncle, who was also a pitcher. <laughs> okay. And so they go back and forth a couple of times, and then he sends her a message, and it says, you know, my mother had mentioned there might be a family secret, and I guess I might be the secret. Yeah. Mm. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> And it, so it leads him, you know, down this incredible trail at a guaranteed rate field on the south side last Friday night where they watch the White Sox play side by side. Of course, except it was their cardboard cutouts, not their actual cells, because, again, it's 2020. But still amazing. All we needed was Turk Farrell strolling out of a cornfield. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm not kidding. I got chills as I was writing this story. I, I, it gave me chills just retelling it again here. Uh, I mean, really, seriously, where does this rank on your list of all-time real-life baseball fables? I mean, it's, it's way up there, Jay. I mean, I just think it's, uh, it's especially now when you're, you're really trying to understand and, and connect, you know, the sort of the certain purpose, you know, like, um, you know, I think of Chadwick Boseman, Black Panther losing him and just like his, his connection to 42 and Jackie Robinson. And, and you know, we're looking at these things so differently now about, you know, those who came before us and, and where we're trying to take something. And this is kind of that ultimate story because, you know, he lives his life and there's secrets, there's questions. And then he, you know, the way he kind of decides like, okay, I really want to know. You remember he, he engaged, of course, you remember, he once he engages his cousin, it's like, okay, I'm kind of ready for this. You know, he kind of, and we all can relate to that. And more and more with these ancestry kits, you know, this is happening unintentionally. They're happening because you find out these connections. And, and there's somewhere in there, there's a hope that those connections can be magic, can be something that, reminds us of our, of our shared humanity, right? Reminds us about um, what we care about. And, and baseball, we've always seen in this very human way because we have that daily, you know, the everyday person, the everyday experience where uh, it's, it's just part of our life through four seasons, right? Spring training, it's really winter training. And, and, and then you see family in this, whether at the game or uh, how baseball is not in a bubble, Partly because players 
felt this discomfort about, hey, I, I, I don't want to be that far away from my family for that long of a period of time. You know, just these, there's a, there's a certain connection. And so this story to me embodied way beyond the story of, you know, finding where your legacy began, but also just what baseball uh, re- represents in some ways in its best form, in some of ways in its real deep, dark secrets, and yet still find reconciliation on some level or find some way to move forward. Uh, I, yeah, so I mean, it was a tremendous, a really tremendous piece, Jay. And um, I don't know, I, it's, it's just one of those things that I know will stay with me. All right. Time to welcome in the most fun guest we've ever had on this show. I wish we could wave him out of a cornfield, but we're going to do the next best thing. It's time for his hit theme song. Mr. Mayor, let's play the music. So good. It's the esteemed and hilarious host of The Price is Right. Uh, formerly, I believe you appeared on the Drew Carey show, right? <laughs> yeah, that's It's the Drew one. Carey, ladies and gentlemen. Drew, welcome. Hi, everybody. Yeah, thanks, Ian Hunter, for writing that song. <laughs> wow. That was nice yeah. of you. My dogs are barking at the door already. Do you want me to... <laughs> We've had dogs on this podcast before. I actually kind of like, you know, when I when I do these things, I kind of like that yeah. now. Like when I, especially when I see people on the news, like these, like... Uh, academic and policy experts that are in their home office or somewhere and you can see all the books and and their crappy you know earbuds that they're wearing. it's just really great and it brings everybody to a, a a level where you're it's almost like you're talking to them at a party or something like that so i hope this kind of thing goes on forever and ever <laughs> hope nobody i hope zoom and these kind of meetings and these kind of recordings just keep on going man it is tremendous although i am obsessed with looking to see if Anybody has my books on their bookshelves? <laughs> oh, sorry. I just have like I know. patch keys and it's, stuff it, like that. It, it's it's cool. You should join the rest of the planet. I have a soccer ball signed by Pele. Wow. That's uh, that's definitely better than a Stark or Glanville book. Is. No doubt about it. Yeah, I used to work at this camp uh, in, in Akron, uh, outside of Akron, Ohio, called Camp Wainoa. It was run by the Akron YMCA, and they would host the um, – the soapbox derby championships every year. And I think they still do, but they would, that's where they would have the soapbox derby, like world championships. So all these kids that were in the soapbox derby would come and stay at our camp and they'd bring in all these celebrity guests to like feed the kids and sign autographs. And Pele showed up one year. Really? And, uh, at the yeah, soapbox holy crap, derby? I believe it. <laughs> yeah. This was back in the day when the, uh, when they had the, uh, you know, the New York cosmos and all those teams that were, out there they were really pushing it so i don't know they somehow got paley to show up at the soapbox derby championships and Vic <laughs> tayback was the other one that that year from alice oh, <laughs> you never know i i can't believe we got to the soapbox derby and pele before we got to the indians but like we got a lot of fun That's stuff right. to get into but there's really only one place to start that's in your hometown cleveland ohio and yeah we've established the cleveland rocks does this feel like the year, the year when that Indian, the Indians well, might do that thing you've been waiting your whole life for them to do? Lately, it always feels like that. You know, I get, like after the Cavaliers, you know, uh, got us off the schneid, so to speak, and got a championship and, and broke the dam, then I figure like, oh, everybody can win a championship now in Cleveland. That's not even a 
curse anymore. So, and the Indians always play really lately. They, really? They're always a contender and you always have to worry about them, which is a great feeling to have as a fan in Cleveland is I have a team that people have to actually worry about all the time, especially the Indians. And uh, they've been good for so long, honestly. Uh, I, uh, uh, you know, I own part of a soccer team up in Seattle and uh, I hope this doesn't sound too callous or whatever, but I'm putting an asterisk on every season, every team this year, because, you know, shortened season, it's not a full <laughs> test of, uh, endurance and management that is one of the things I also like about baseball is this idea of having to juggle injuries, starters, streaks, all the kind of stuff for 162 games and, you know, the dog days of summer when it gets super hot and the early days in spring when everybody's excited and those last, that last month when teams are out and just playing spoilers and just showing up because they're getting a paycheck, you know, like all that psychological thing that goes on during a season is not really happening. So I hope they do. And it'd be great if the Indians could win it all, but it's still going to be like, Oh yeah, they won during that shortened year. And then there's always going to be for 10 years, like podcasts like this are going to be arguing about whether the Indians really are a championship for that year or anybody that wins this year. <laughs> are they really the best in baseball? Cause if they were only the best for two months or like however long the season went, same thing with the NBA soccer, same thing. You know, I hope my Sounders do well, but if we don't win a championship, I'm not going to lose sleep over it this year. This year, I just want to get through and make people pay as many employees as we can, not just owners and players or all millionaires. So I just, you know, got a lot of staff, like on the Sounders, there's a lot of people that work in the office and just staff that we don't want to screw out of money. So we're glad to be back so we can pay people and keep the lights on, you know, but this year we're just trying to get through it and, uh, talk of championships and stuff. It's nice, but I have a, I have a different, like when I was like, I don't know if you're different now that you're like in the professionally in the sports business, but um, you know, growing up, I remember like crying at a, if the Browns lost a playoff game, like when it would really affect me and I'd be like, not sobbing, but I, I, I would have tears in my eyes. Like, ah, another season down the drain and they were so close. Like after the drive, you know, uh, and stuff like that. And, the uh, and the fumble the year after I remember being really upset and just like sitting at a coffee counter, arguing with people, <laughs> reading the paper about what the coach should do. And, the same thing and this isn't a time to else. tell you that I'm a John Elway fan. Yeah. This isn't the right moment, right? <laughs> I shouldn't. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I did a Super Bowl commercial with him. Sorry about the dog. I did a Super Bowl commercial with him. Dog and, uh, I had to get yeah, the dog found. I had to shake it. I, 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 you know, I met him, so I went. I, I went to shake his hand, and I was just like, <laughs> and he was so nice. I got like honestly, like nothing gets done away. Like personally, he was such a nice guy, really professional, and I had no reason, person to person, to feel that way. But just because he did that to the Browns, that's what I was like. I was just like, ooh, this guy. And um, I try not to get upset about things I can't control anymore. You know what I mean? Like I can't control. I'm not in charge of hiring a Browns coach every year and, you know, the draft and what they, what they do and who they keep on is like, I have nothing to do with it. And uh, same thing with the Indian, nothing. Uh, Sounders, I can, uh, even then I'm like, I, you know, I'm like a fan with benefits because I'm, I'm uh, just a minority owner. And I, I would love to think that I could go in there if I want to and just like pipe up, but I don't have any like day to day 
And for good reason. <laughs> running at the team. Like, I'm not going to pick players and stuff of this out. I don't know. They don't let do you do that? What's going on in that place? Uh, yeah, they just don't. I mean, I just know where I, where, what my skills are and where I stand in the organization. But, I mean, I try not to get too – like, I watched half the Browns game on Sunday, and uh, I figured I did my civic duty, and I they were losing, so I shut it off. I didn't care. <laughs> really? <laughs> Why, like, why would I? Why would I get all worked up and in a state of angst and upset because of, of 22 guys? I don't have anything to do with those guys. Nothing. Wow. I, I grew up in the town they play for it, and that's it. Why should I, you know? <laughs> all right. See, now, see, this is what happens. Crazy. I, um, look, I, I'm from Philadelphia. Uh, the Phillies have lost more games than any franchise in the history of sports. The Eagles went half a century without winning a Super Bowl, but both those teams won. So I'll admit it, that Philadelphia cannot touch Cleveland. Um, so it's like it's interesting what happens when you root for, a, for teams that never win. Like, I actually did the math. The Indians have played more than 11,000 games since the last time they won a World Series. The Browns wow. are closing in on nearly 800 games in the Super Bowl era. Never won one. Can, can I tell you a funny, you know, I'm, I'm not allowed to go anywhere near betting on soccer at all, even though before I was part of an ownership group, I did bet on it and it's really fun. This year, you know how a lot of fans, they put out, a, they put like a hundred bucks on their team to win the Super Bowl just for the heck of it. Like if they're in Vegas and they'll, they'll go, yeah, I put a hundred bucks on the Eagles. You know, it's pays 20 to one or something. You never know. You know, people have that attitude when they bet. I put $500 on the Browns to have the worst record on them. Because <laughs> you never know. Right. This could be their year. <laughs> to do that? They can do that. Like, we know they can do that. Closer, they have, to me, they have a better chance of that than winning the Super Bowl. So well, it's like, if I'm going to make a silly throwaway bet for a couple yeah, hundred bucks. It's like bucks, reverse psychology, though. You kind of feel like, all right, you know, you win, you yeah, win money they, if it's a horrible year and you – you wouldn't that year when they the year when they lost every single game i knew it some at the beginning of the year i just had a feeling so i'm you know i i read the you know box scores and general articles about things all the time and i thought man the browns could lose every game and i bet against them every single game and then i would take my winnings whatever i had and i would let it ride and i would push it back and bet the next game and so by the end of the season I was betting a, like a lot of money on the Browns and just the money line, no points or anything like that. I just wanted the just the Browns just needed to lose oh, no. somehow, <laughs> and they always came they through. Came I was through. never so happy. I barely missed a game. I was always checking the scores. <laughs> I was a fan that year, man, but not of them to lose to win. I had a, they had to lose. You know, week. I have a friend who's a Browns fan, and I just told him last Sunday, it's time to root for somebody else. You could, like, you're not. Like, you're not required to root for the Browns your entire life. He doesn't live there. He actually has never I lived there. So what do, you, like, what do you think? Help with this. Well, you know, it is kind of a civic thing. Like, growing up, like, it was all, like, you're, all, you're almost like, the Browns were always, like, the number one team in Cleveland when it came to sports. Like, everybody looked forward to the Browns. Because the Indians, the Browns were, like, at least decent uh, the Indians were just always terrible and, uh, you know, playing for 5,000 people in a 70,000-seat baseball stadium. 
you know, 68,000 it could, it could hold when it was full, Cleveland Stadium field one. And uh, they would literally have like 5,000, 10,000 people there sometimes. And you could walk in and just with your friends and just sit anywhere you want. The ushers never cared. Um, and the Cavaliers played in Richfield. Like, it took like an hour to get to the Cavaliers game because they were they played in uh, like whatever sub yeah Richfield, and that was like a high that was like a special occasion to go see a Cavaliers game. Um, so the Browns were kind of in the hockey team left. So like the Browns were kind of it, and you no, know, you're taught really early like you gotta hate Pittsburgh. Uh, you know you. you like automatically don't like this city and this is how it is. And this teaches you this tribalism and stuff that I don't like anymore in sports. Like I, I, and I, I liken the Browns to like, I, I, when they were been bad for so long. And uh, I remember I did an interview once and I still stand by this comparison. It's like a, if you had a, a local sandwich shop in your town, that was like a local franchise and the sandwiches are bad. You, you don't have to eat there. Go have another, go eat somewhere else. Or if like somebody's selling, you know, clothes and their clothes are out of style and not good. And you don't have to buy those clothes out of loyalty. I mean, it's just like crazy. If the sandwiches are bad, let them go out of business. But the, these sports franchises like the Browns, and there's other ones too, where they expect the, the people in that city to like support them no matter what. And to, you know, no matter what kind of product we put out, you know, be a good citizen and buy our tickets to this business. It's a business, you know, that's counting on, they're trying to sell you something and they're selling you an exciting day, you know, a distraction, something to root for. And, you know, they're selling you this kind of experience, but if they're not giving it to you, then why should you buy it? Like there's no reason to have to buy, you know, just don't go. And I was, when the Browns were like the, I think it was the year before they lost all the, other games, I did this interview. I was like, Let's, don't go to the Browns games. You can't reward an NFL owner who's already a billionaire anyway. Just don't reward them by buying tickets all the time if they're not giving you what you want. Like, it's insane. And you're not a bad Clevelander if you don't, if you want to watch. The Cavaliers play right downtown now with the Indians. You can all see all this, all the arenas are downtown. <laughs> Just go to watch anybody else and follow anybody else. I'm not going to root for another football team. Like, I'm not going to be a Rams fan all of a sudden. And not the Browns, but if I'm not watching, if I'm not, you know, bleeding for the Browns, I don't care about any NFL team either. Just if I have a bet on it. Yeah, it's well, I think it's like the it's like the sports loyalty. I mean, and because I, you know, I always think about childhood too. Like I kind of connect the dots of, and I didn't actually. I loved the Phillies growing up, and I didn't grow up up outside of Philly. I grew up in New Jersey, but north. And uh, and actually, I was kind of hating on the local teams and, and picking like powder blue <laughs> Philadelphia uniforms, but. Uh, but yeah, it just like it sticks, it stuck to me, you know, and it, and I always associated it. And then there's that hope that maybe this is the year, or maybe I see something magical from this one player I watched come out of the minor leagues, and and you just find other reasons to kind of stay connected with that one team, even after I moved. And then of course I end up playing, so that kind of messed it all up in a different way. But it does mess it up, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and, and Francona was my manager in Philly, so. I remember him speaking of the 162 games. He he told me he was going to give me a day off because the bat was swinging me. It was like 150 games into the season, so uh, so I always have a, a a good spot for for Tito Francona. Yeah, but don't you think that the season's like it's, it's too short now to give a full reckoning of how what a player goes through for the whole year? Because there's you know all that time in the road that wears on you mentally and this this grind that you have to fight. 
to me, I mean, you, you tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like there's this grind you have to battle against as well as the other team. And then you can't like when you're once you're on the field, you have this like this heightened, I hope this heightened sense of like split second decision making that you have to turn up and then you can relax once you get down on the bench and turn it up again. It's just a lot of like seems to me like mental and like almost spiritual stress. Yeah, I mean, you know? I mean, I think it, it's so programmed to 162. That number was my childhood yes. and everything flowed from that. Even I had trouble with the wild card game because everything was a series and this idea of like sudden death in baseball. Uh, and I guess, yeah, I don't like the and I guess, you know, while we have the right guy here at asking, like you, you've worked extensively in the improv world, right? So, so here <laughs> yeah. we are in 2020, we have to make up things as, I mean, baseball is literally like, oh, let's add seven inning double headers. Let's just have a runner show up out of outer space onto second base. I hate right? that. <laughs> so, Rule. but, but, but in it. your field of improv, like, so what can you tell us as fans to say? Let's work with this. I mean, you must have to do that in your in your world of improv all the time to say, just well, go the, with it, right? The great thing that improv taught me is that you can't come into the situation with something forced and pre-planned. Like the worst thing you can do is like have a like a joke in your head that you want to get out during the scene. The and what you have to do is really just like blank out and come in with in a good mood and be like already ready to be in a state of flow and just be able to listen and to put yourself and live in the exact up to the second moment, you know, and feel what everybody's doing. Cause somebody, you know, pretends to put a table down and pretends to hang a curtain or whatever they're doing. And you have to be able to almost see the table and see the curtain and imagine yourself there and be with that person, whatever they want to be and just be in a state of pretend like right there. And, um, you know, so you have to be able to adopt to the situation without getting upset. You know, it's a lot of it is like things you learn and like mindfulness and meditation and stuff. So they, I think that they are doing the right thing. I mean, fans wanted to see sports and uh, they figure, well, 60 games is better than nothing. And, you know, the, they are people, there are people that like their salespeople and stuff. They have to get paid. A lot of people have to get paid that aren't, you know, millionaire baseball players and owners. You know, there's a lot of people that trainers aren't making that kind of money and other people that work in the, you know, equipment managers and people that take care of the field, they all have to get money. They all have homes they have to worry about. Like people forget that in these organizations, they run so deep and then, you know, there's families and everything else and you get to know, uh, you know, I bet you got to know a lot of these guys that are groundskeepers and stuff to say hi and they become friendly with you and friend and you, you know, you care about what happens to their family. Yeah. And like, you want to meet, see those people like back to work and the same thing with the networks, like all the electricians and the, and the cameramen and stuff, like all those guys and their families are going to lose houses if they don't have something to broadcast. There's a lot at stake all the time. And uh, so it's better than nothing. And I, I love the idea of cardboard cutouts in the stands. Like you can have, like, I try to look at the, like the good that's going to come of everything, like in, Baseball, I think you should automatically always be able to put a cardboard cutout in the stands <laughs> if you want. <laughs> like, if you want to pay the money and have your cardboard cutout of your choice in that seat, fine. And I, I love the video wall of fans in the NBA games. Like, that looks so good to me. I don't see why they can't do that all the time, like somewhere. Yeah. And just have them on the the cube in the middle or something like that, and have be able to be have people be able to watch from home, 
and Zoom like this. It's a great idea. I don't like the pumped in noise. I love watching the baseball games when there's no pumped in noise, when you can hear everybody <laughs> yelling. I love the idea that there was already like fights because they could hear what the other people yeah. were yelling in the dugout because there's no fans there. <laughs> like you said, what to me? Right. Like, oh, sorry, man. I didn't know you could hear me. Right. I mean, it's like a, it's like a newfound bravery. You realize, like, wait a minute. Now we've been counting on. I mean, it's like the guys that will charge the mound, but then they look back to make sure their teammates are coming with you, and then yeah. they say, okay, I'm gonna go get you now it's like so yeah it's a totally different yeah nothing like a good slappy baseball <laughs> yeah, fight <right? laughs> i want you to know that we did check with terry francona he uh, he was in, on this podcast if this is the year that the indians win the world series he will celebrate they <laughs> will right. count oh, it yeah. you too right just check it i mean a wins a they've set the baseball sets the rules, man. If we win with the rules they set, then we're the winner, yeah. you know. But yeah, there is going to be an asterisk on every single game and everything this whole sports season. So you just better get ready. Like even if even even though they're they're playing a full football season, it's going to be you know like well there wasn't a preseason. There's going to be you know how people oh, yeah. are when they talk about sports. Oh, there wasn't a preseason, and oh, there was no fans and. You know, Seattle didn't have the 12th man, and they'll always have a reason why something could have gone their way. It should have. Well, Drew, you mentioned. It would have, should have well, in you, sports. You, you is, mentioned asterisks. So what what would you put an asterisk on? Like, let's think baseball history. Uh, home runs, we know the PEDs. And uh, so what, what, do you, what do you reserve that asterisk for? Well, you know what? I play uh, – I play this game. I'm obsessed with this game uh, from this summer called Stratomatic oh, Baseball. Oh, man. Now you're speaking my language there. I, I, oh, you're Stratomatic? Oh, yeah. I grew up on Stra Hal Richmond, the founder. Jay knows. Yeah. Oh, great. So they, uh, I, I was, uh, I, I'm on this radio station. I'm on Sirius uh, X, uh, uh, Radio. I'm on the station called uh, Underground Garage. I do a rock and roll radio show. I just play music. And one of the other DJs is Slim Jim Phantom, who's the drummer from the Stray Cats. And he also has a baseball podcast on his on Sirius that where he talks. He's a big big baseball fan, and he had me on with uh, uh, Dave DeLucci, uh, used to play for the Indians, mm -hmm. left fielder for sure. the Indians, and has a World Series ring I think with Texas or yeah, something. Yeah. And um, uh, so he had his best years in Texas, of course. And, uh, <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Mike Mills from REM oh, yeah. was on there. He's a big baseball fan. And we were talking about Stratomatic and Greg Proops, my, my friend from Who's Line. And we were talking about, oh, we should play over Zoom, break out the board game and play a game. And so I looked it up and they have an online version of the game oh, yeah. called Stratomatic 365. Yeah. And it's you can play like in a league with all-time greats. And I have like uh, – and my team right now, I have Louis Tiant from 1968, Jim Palmer. I have uh, – uh, Cy Young, I've actually I've Cy, Cy actual, actual Young Cy pitching Young. on my pitching staff with Louis Tian from 1968. I mean, I'm, I'm pitching wise, I'm unbeatable. And then people have like like uh, Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle playing for them, and uh, you oh, know, yeah. like whoever yeah, Strat, you can get, like whoever Strat your favorite was players awesome, are. Awesome man. Cool. I mean, well, first of all, all right, right. I took beef with Stratomatic for a minute, and I I loved it growing up. Still love it. But I was a, I was a, I was a two in the outfield in center field one year. Uh, That's just your actually, range. That has nothing to do with how many errors. No, you but made. I, I can't accept that. 
I, I got to be a one. I cannot accept the two. So I, can, I was I always wonder what people. Yeah. Play. So yeah, I think Delucci's a two. Yeah. Too. So I, I I talked to Strat and as an olive branch, they came to the Mets game when we were playing them, and they brought a card with a one on the front, and they kind of like edited it. I said that, that doesn't count. That does not. Yeah, you want an official. I want an official one. I was one on the basic set, but the advanced set I was a two. So. Uh, yeah, oh. so I, I, you know, so that's always been a challenge for me. Well, the yeah. the the one is just your range. Like if you can get to the ball better than anybody yeah, I else, gotta have and a one, the, man. the the error rating that number is. I look at when I put my team together. I really pay close attention to that because that's when it like if a shortstop is a is a one, but he has a lot of errors. I don't care if he knocks the ball down. Then he's gonna throw it over the if you're gonna throw it over the first baseman's head. <laughs> <Right. laughs> one e forty eight. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather have a, I'd rather have a two ten, you know, a ten error rate. Something yeah. like, a, you know, oh, yeah. get the most of them. I, I, well, that yeah, that is, does have to. How how fast were you out of seventeen? I mean, I I had years. I was seventeen. I mean, really, when I made the big leagues, probably the greatest thing next to that was having my Stratomatic card. I mean, I literally started playing when I was six years old with my brother. So I was. Th- oh yeah, I played all through the seventies. I was, yeah, that was me. I was the whole card set. So I was thrilled to have a set. So I had probably you know almost ten years of cards. So that was cool. And I was one of the extra men, Texas Rangers. I got traded, all that stuff. So uh, yeah. Did, do do you have your? Uh, do you still have your? Uh, did, do you guys collect your baseball cards, your tops cards? I do. Too? Yeah, I do have cards uh, somewhere in attics somewhere. That's got to be really. That's got to be really exciting to have something like that actual. I remember when I like the Indians gave me a bobblehead one time. They had a Drew Carey bobblehead day, and I couldn't get over how I got to throw out the first pitch, and I had an actual bobblehead that they gave away in a stadium. I mean, it was just still boggles my mind that stuff like that can happen to a person. You know, it's pretty exciting. Like that's more exciting than anything else. Like we see your name in a crossword puzzle. Like then, forget having my show. I was in the crossword puzzle. That's the big accomplishment. That, that is pretty awesome. All right, let, listen now. If you're going to bring up baseball cards, we want to spring a mm-hmm. surprise prices right segment on you right oh, here. Now, obviously, Doug has a bunch of baseball cards because he played in the big leagues. I even have a top baseball card for some reason. They printed one up a few years ago. So here, here's the first category. You have to guess. The, the current value of a Jason Stark Topps baseball card on eBay this morning. And remember, you cannot go over. <laughs> you can't go over. <laughs> oh, uh, I would say under 350. Um, is that your final answer? Wrong show. <laughs> yes. Okay, three. 350. I was I would bid I would bid 350 knowing I wouldn't go okay, over. Okay, so this is we're going to need a ruling because the the actual answer is 99 cents, <laughs> but there's it's a dollar 99 for shipping. So that's that's what 298. What do you what do you it's $3. What do you think? All right, well let, let, let's go to the big category. Doug, why don't you take over here? Oh yeah, so uh well for for, for my eBay card is that, is that what we're looking at here? Yeah, exactly. What's yeah, the so, what's the value of a Doug Glanville card on eBay? The most expensive one. Oh yeah, you could round to the nearest million uh, millions. It's okay. We can round to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably like people are surprised. Like I, I would say five bucks. Okay, five dollars <laughs> is the answer. 
All right, yeah. well, you're under. <laughs> All right, it's, that's good. Uh, that's good. It's, the, 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 the most expensive one I could find was $13.97. But they made a point of noting that they had oh. just reduced it from $19.99. Oh, Doug, what's up on. with that? I got to call them. Um, I got to call them. <laughs> you have to call eBay? You're a two and you're on Good sale? Luck. <laughs> on sale. $6 off. Yeah. My All goodness. Right. So did. So did that's not so right. let, let, let's bring in the mayor here. Did, did, did Drew win this edition of The Price is Right? Trombones. <laughs> we got the trombones, yes. Yeah, I, and anybody can go to YouTube and look at the trombone sounds. <laughs> We're not going to confirm that that's what we did now. Hey, Starkville listeners. Evil Mayor Tim here. We'll have much more from Drew Carey, but first a word from Liquid IV. Hi, this is The Athletic's Joe Posnanski for Liquid IV. Believe it or not, dehydration occurs daily in three out of four people. With Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you as much hydration as two to three bottles of water. And in this case, I can tell you that I love Liquid IV. I use it. Uh, it is, uh, first of all, it tastes pretty good. And uh, when I go out, I play uh, some tennis trying to stay in shape. And it has been uh, fantastic for me as far as staying hydrated. It really works. It's really good. One serving of Liquid IV provides the same hydration as two or three bottles of water alone, as I mentioned before. Contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, and as much potassium as a banana. No artificial flavors or preservatives. Liquid IV is available nationwide at Costco and Target, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code word ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use the promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. Is this going to affect the value of items on the prices, right? You're, you're going to start, you're about to start up again, right? Yeah, we're going to go with uh, taping in just a few weeks. October 4th is when uh, the date they gave me to start taping, and we're going to do it without an audience. Oh, my God. Wow. For the first time in Prices Right history, uh, we played around with ideas to have, like, limited audience and groups of people who knew each other come in and test them, like, 48 hours ahead of time, and then we were worried about what's going to happen in those two days and how to protect the crew because right now in the television and film business, the uh, it's all the, the guilds and the unions that are uh, one of the driving forces with all the rule safety because, you know, the, you know, the screen actors guild and uh, 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 the, the, the grips of all their union of all, you know, all the lighting and electrician, they're all, it's prices, right. is a heavily unionized show and they're, you know, they had to negotiate with all those with the, with the unions first and the guilds to make sure that everybody was felt safe coming back to work. I talked to a friend of mine who's an actor and, and uh, they said, yeah, it's like full masks, social distancing until they say action pretty much. And then you take the mask yeah. off and do the scene and put the mask on and separate. And uh, there's all kinds of stuff like that going on where it's like a whole new world out there where nobody's taking a chance. Uh and plus you don't want to get sued, you know, yeah. on top of that from being, from having an unsafe workspace. So this is like, you might, if you have nobody wearing masks at your factory or your place of work, you might as well have a in the wall, you know, for opening yourself up to 
lawsuits and stuff. It's just common sense to keep people as safe as you want. And plus, I don't, you know, you don't want that on your conscience. I remember the last week that we, we haven't filmed since uh, March 10th was our last day. And um, I remember very clearly because that's the week that the NBA shut down and everything just like that week when everything just like every day there was something else shutting down. And the price is right, kept coming back. And I would do, go out, do the show, and I would make a couple jokes to the audience like, uh, hey, it's great to be here risking my life so you can <laughs> win a bedroom set. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm in my 60s and I could, I'm here I am in a crowd with no mask. And, you know, and uh, I was trying to make a joke of it, but I would go backstage and I'd be like, what are we doing? Like, let's get the hell out of here. This is crazy. Every break, I'd be backstage with my arms out, just like, why are we here? Let's shut this show down and get the hell out. Because you'd get the updates, like, on the radio or whatever on your phone when you went back. Like, oh, look, the NBA shut down. Why are we filming? <laughs> right. You know, and I'd, I'd go to the uh, to the to different crew members. I go, I go, don't you have a union? Why don't you talk to your union guy? And I, would, I even was talking to my agents, like, what if I just don't show up yeah. out of fear for my safety? Because this is, like, insane. And we were like, you know, hand sanitizer all over the place and wiping everything down, but I still didn't feel safe. And I was so glad to get out of there when they shut it down. And uh, yeah, so we're coming back with no audience. And it's like, if, if any show, forget sports, Price is Right, that's the whole, they're the star of the show. Like that somebody come on down and, and coming on down and losing their minds and, you know, collapse, crying and that, oh. that's the show. The show isn't me. The show isn't, you know, necessarily, you know, a can of soup, how much that is. It's watching people go bananas. And there's going to be some of that missing, I think, with no audience there and people pre-screened. And, but they want new programming, so we're going to go back and give it a shot. Wow. Better than nothing, I, so, yeah, I, well, I mean, I think that's a, lot of the, that's a lot of this year. So I was like, well, better than nothing. <laughs> right. You know, better than not having well, it. You know, Fox, so. these Fox games, they have these – fake digital fans that are jumping up and down. You couldn't do that at the Price is Right. I hate it. <laughs> right, coming down the street. <laughs> yeah, Come on I mean, down. I hate, I, hate so the, I hate the noise. Yeah, the, for, for all the soccer games, the ESPN broadcast would have no sound, so you could hear, like, all the players yelling at each other and, and here, 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 open, 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 you know, like all that stuff. And um, uh, every, like, touch of the ball practically you could hear. It was really exciting. And then when Fox would show it, they put in this phony crowd noise and it used to, it would, it still does kind of, I hate it. <laughs> so who, who knew all that time like you it. spent at Cleveland Municipal Stadium would, yeah, would train you? For, <laughs> yes, right. But could you describe what it was like, that place, for those who've never set foot in there? Well, baseball games especially, they would, it would be crowded, like July 4th would be a crowded game because we would always play the Yankees and they would give away I Hate the Yankee Hankies. <laughs> oh, yeah. So everybody would get a hanky that said I Hate the Yankees on it that people would wave. But like seriously, like you would plan like any time, any day in the summer, like, you know, it doesn't matter weekday or not because if you're in school, you're off. And with your college buddies or high school friends, like, hey, you want to go see the Indians? They're playing at one or whatever, and then uh, you go, yeah, sure. So you'd like mosey on down there and buy like the cheapest ticket and then just walk in and look for a good seat up front, just walk up there and sit down. And the ushers, <laughs> if they were cool, you just give them a little nod and that was they wouldn't care. You could sit in the box seat, you know, and uh, 
guys would go like sometimes the beat the bleachers would be more crowded because that was like those seats were like four bucks i think for a bleacher seat <laughs> something ridiculous like that and then you would pay for a bleacher seat go out there take your shirt off catch some sun <laughs> grab a couple beers and just like talk to people and you barely watch the game it was like visiting with your friends and the game would be on in the background down on the field there there was a couple of great jokes that were going around um back then one of them was uh you pretend to answer the phone and go hi cleveland indians and you go, yeah, what time does the game start? And they go, oh, I don't know. What time do you want to get here? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wait, that's not uh, a true story? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I can't remember what former Indians player told me this story, but he was, he was in the batter's box, and there was a light out in center field, and it was just right in his vision of pitcher, baseball, light bulb. And so he stepped out, and he – said to the umpire, hey, could we get somebody to turn off that light in center field? And they, it, there was a 17-minute delay because they couldn't oh find anybody who could change a light bulb. <laughs> oh, I remember when I played in Montreal once, and that was, you know, there was nobody there. And, of course, oh, they were famous for that too. And right? my brother came to the game, and I had a full conversation with him, like the whole game. He was, he was behind me, and said, I was like, oh, all right. So, yeah, it was, the mics would have been very interested. But, wow. So, yeah, it was, there's was some, bad, some bad times there. But, but Cle- did you have a favorite player in, in that era, uh, Cleveland? Um, man, uh, I saw – I was there for Frank Robinson's first game. That was oh, exciting well, years yeah. when he hit the easy – I still say they just let him hit a home run just because it was a big day. <laughs> you know, he had his, a home run his first yeah, at bat yeah. as a player manager. And, uh, I mean, anybody – I if they didn't serve up one to him, why didn't you? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> You don't have to brag about it in the paper or tell anybody, but you know, you can't pretend that doesn't go on. If somebody's like trying to be friendly and keep, you know, uh, and, uh, uh, who's the guy that Dennis Eckersley pitching a no hitter. I was there for that game. Um, there's a couple of people that are, uh, that are in my stratomatic league that are from Cleveland that were also at that game. We were really surprised how many, cause it was like a big deal. So like people like that. And, uh, uh, Gaylord Perry. I remember for some reason I, I liked him. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Tomey, you know, when they, when they moved to the state, but the, when the, the old Indians in that game, you would just like, it was such a great place to like kill time, you know? <laughs> and uh, you would, I honestly, I only if there was somebody there, like a team you hated, like the Yankees or somebody where you just the Rangers, where you just wanted to see him lose. Would you go like the Texas Rangers where, where we had the, the 10 cent beer night. Mm-hmm. That was the game uh, we were playing the Texas Rangers, and nobody liked the Rangers in Cleveland for some reason. I don't know what happened in what game that held over, but yeah, it was a Ranger. A buddy of mine from high school was at the game and got hit in the head with a, a wine bottle. Oh wow! <laughs> in the in the bleachers. <laughs> hey, you know we were ta- we're talking about weird delays. Can I ask you about one of my favorite weird delays in Cleveland? This was <laughs> – 95 ALCS, Indians, Mariners. and Is this the buzz? Well, that was 97. I want to ask you about that one, too. That 95, Slider, the mascot, fell out of the stands onto the warning track. Oh, no. <laughs> and there was like a half-hour delay in the game because he was hurt. 
Oh, <laughs> we had an no. injured mascot. Miss, yeah, goop. like you can. Find I used to have a one. joke when I was starting out in Cleveland that I wanted to be so rich that I could hire Slider to come over and mow my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> Like full outfit, right. you know, you could like hire the mascot for parties and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, I'll pay him double. Uh, <laughs> so mow the mow at the All Star Game, you did the you did the uh, you did the Cleveland Rocks remake video with Slider and his mascot friends. Do you have any? Yeah, that was. And do you have any secrets about Slider that you did you learn from that? Shoot. Uh, and, and never saw any of those guys without their their costume on. Oh. Like they weren't backstage with their heads off and walking around and smoking a cigarette or whatever. <laughs> You okay, know. that's, that's uh, actually good to know. Yeah, yeah, I could barely walk that all-star softball game. I was really like, I have like <laughs> arthritis in my hips sometimes, and I have to get shots every year. But um, uh, yeah, I was really hurt, and I could oh, barely man. like walk, much less run. <laughs> but I still had a really good time, and it was really amazing uh, how many people that are otherwise really athletic but can't catch a ball. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know what yeah, I mean? That's why it was, yeah. that's why they play those games. <laughs> it's part of the charm. Of and then some, <laughs> and then some of the, I forget the names of like the ex Indians that were playing that would like, and they're playing softball and they like fly out to center field. You could see their face just like, ah, oh, why did I do that in a softball game? You know, because they think they just imagine you're going to go up there and rip it all over the fence every single time, but you still have to hit a thing with a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like you brought, you brought up the game, uh, the Jabba Chamberlain game. The, or the Jabba Chamberlain gets attacked by midges on the mound in Cleveland. That was insane, wasn't it? Have you ever been attacked? I don't know how he ever been it. assaulted by a midge? <laughs> no, but it looked it looked like he was pitching at the county fair or something. It was insane, right? <laughs> it really was. I mean, it looked like you could barely see him almost because of all the bugs around. That, I felt bad for him. Like I thought he's going to swallow a couple of bugs. There's no. But, but that's not it. a common thing that happens in Cleveland in that time of year. <laughs> there's yeah, there's bugs everywhere all the time. <laughs> you know, I'm surprised the outfielders aren't catching fireflies just to kill the time. Right. So I now I was I was just checking. Uh, you know, I had I had to look up a Wikipedia just for you know fun, and it said something along the lines of you worked at Denny's. Uh, yes, I did. So, Third shift. Yeah. So my so of course I have to throw a, a, a multiple choice question here. Uh, what which is the best slam? So we have grand, all American, lumberjack, or French toast. Oh, grand slam! Grand slam? That's the classic one. All right. Yeah, yeah. And my, when I used to go on my break, I'd always get uh, the um, super bird. That was my favorite. Even when I would go, like I was on a road trip not long ago, and I I don't go to Denny's anymore, uh, really. And I there was just I was so hungry. There was a Denny's, and I went in and. I just knew I wanted a Superbird as soon as I walked in there. Something about being in a Denny's. I have to get the same sandwich that I always would get. And chicken noodle soup from Denny's, Superbird from Denny's, you know. <laughs> well, by- Third shift, though. Like, I even worked a Denny's New Year's Eve third shift. Whoa. And if you thought I was happy, <laughs> you were wrong. <laughs> what's, the, what's the clientele like at, uh, in the third shift on New Year's Eve? <laughs> Well, it's everybody, like, there's nobody there at midnight, except us and the, the servers, like, okay, happy new year. And then about 1230, that's when people start staggering in, and then they're they're fine, and then around two in the morning, it's every drunk, and at four in the morning, everybody drunk, everybody wanting coffee, everybody want to keep the party going, and just, like, really loud, like, it's really kind of insane, and then it started to die down around, uh, 
five thirty, five o'clock. <laughs> the sun. Yeah. Now, yeah. now you're kind of describing this as if you like worked there last year. It seems very fresh in your mind. When, when, did, when, did, when did this happen? Well, it's just one of those things you never forget. <laughs> <laughs> Birth of a child, you know, like all those kind of things. Where you're just like. I'll never forget the New Year's Eve I had to work when I was at Denny's working for, you know, I think I might have made 80 bucks. That was a big bonus night for me. <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you to rank the most trauma- traumatic Cleveland sports debacles of, oh, wow. of your time. Game That's 7, deep. 2016 Ooh. World Series. The, that was the rough. Drive. Why the did they fumble. bring? Why did they not? Why did they bring Mesa in? I don't get it. Mesa, like they still didn't have. Oh, yeah. They had no reason to bring him in. As good as he was, they should have just not. That's how they did it all year, Drew. Second guessing coach. I'm telling you, if you're one of the greatest things about being a sports fan is the ability to second guess. Oh yeah. Every play on the field, and you don't know, like in Stratomatic, right? I'll bring up Stratomatic oh, again I mean, since you know Stratomatic. We got to play in a league so, together, by the way, because I mean, I play this. You know, this was my thing. You know, growing I up. would love. You know, there's going to be a league starting up pretty soon, and I'll get a hold of you. I'll, I'll get a hold of you through Jason and invite you to play in the, the online league because yeah. we t- we all take it very. It's really really fun. Three game series every night, all time greats. You'll have a love it great time. And Delucci plays too. I'll try to get you in with Delucci. All right, <laughs> so you can uh, so get like he loves it. He was not, you know, he was doing like college commentating and not being able to coach or anything. He was going crazy. And then I introduced him to Stratomatics. Like, oh my god, my base scratching my baseball itch. This is the greatest Strat- thing. Great. Um, he didn't do a good job putting his team together though. He picked. Everybody had to have an Italian last night. Oh, really? That's the only guy. It didn't care about batting averages <laughs> or ERA or whip rating or anything like that. So anyway, in Stratomatic, you're always thinking of like the, you know, what's his range? What's his error rating? How does he do against left-handers and right-handers? How many, what's his strike? How many strikeouts does he get? Does he, uh, you know, how many, you're, you're constantly thinking of all these variables, but in real life, there's like 10 times as many variables with real people. <laughs> right with real yeah. bodies you know what i mean like you might have a guy who goes like hey, coach i got a little niggle in my hip today or like i got my shoulder thing it's kind of bugging me a little bit and they go oh well we'll put you sixth instead of f- fourth you know because you might have a thing or look let's rest you today because we don't want to hurt your shot like there's all these little things that the, the average fan doesn't know you don't want to tell the fans like oh we had a yet a stiffness in a thing today because then it that starts all kinds of rumors and the players don't want that out. And there's so many things that the fans don't know that, that, that hopefully go into a decision that a manager's <laughs> making. And when you're a player, right? Like some, if, if the team's all in and trust the manager, everybody knows that everybody's making the right decision. So you don't question it. But sometimes if you have a bad manager, every time they do something, you're like, even the players second guess. Right. Oh yeah. Like I would have done that. I've been playing baseball since I was in little league and this is crazy. You know, why am I shifting over for this guy? Or why are you, you know, yeah. why is this guy batting fifth? I should, why am I batting fourth? I should be sixth. <laughs> yeah. hey, you know, you might have stuff like hey, that. Can I, can I second guess you? Because at the night yeah. of what was supposed to be the all-star game, I'm flipping around YouTube and there you are managing a stratomatic version of the all-star game. Uh, right yes yes the stratomatic they found out i was playing playing the game because you know i i I emailed them and had some questions about the league when i joined you managed the american league and i 
tweeted about it. Yeah, and I, I managed the American League, and I had I got some really unlucky roles, man. Well, oh, man. I sh there's no way I should have lost that. Game. And I really put a lot. <laughs> I put like hours into planning the lineup, and I talked to my brother, and my brother and I like my brother plays Stratomatic and makes like spreadsheets. <laughs> oh yeah about he's one of those crazy people that makes spreadsheets and stuff about and he won't tell me about it i've, I've been in competition with this dude my whole life <laughs> and um so yeah i was really really into it and i did not want to lose to slim jim phantom who was the manager of the national league because in the league i usually beat him all the time and i didn't want to lose to him in the all-star game well, but i did well here's my oh. second guess starting pitcher for drew carey that night no disrespect to him sean manaya then the pitchers coming out of the pen were Justin Verlander, Jared Cole, and your boy Shane Bieber. So what was that's who they gave me? That, well, I figure everybody's going to get an inning anyway, right? So you know, in the All Star game, they're all going to be fresh and playing for an inning. So I, I don't think it really mattered who, like so, mathematically, who I started right? with because it's still Stratomatic. You can say just a, you had just a, but you didn't. You had a card with numbers printed on it that said Justin Verlander right. on the top. It was the All Star um, game, and it was on television. I know, but my my trick in Stratomatic is to never. I don't think of them as real people once I when I'm putting. I, they're all just stats to me, and then when the stats are over, I go, "Oh look, there's Cy Young is my stat," you know, or there's Louis Tian. Uh, just happens to be the best guy. But I was I also have a guy named. Uh, King Kelly from like 1896 <laughs> is playing right field for me. Nice. It was great, by the way. It was amazing. Yeah. He has like a 60% on base percentage. Is Cy Young going to win a Cy Young for you? <laughs> right. No, he did not. Louis Tion won the Cy Young <laughs> oh, no. Award. The, he came, Cy Young was second to Louis Tion from 1968. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> Louis Tion, 68. Pretty damn good. Uh, <laughs> right, look, look, we can't let you go without playing an edition of Know Your Cleveland Sports. So this will be uh -oh. multiple choice. It'll uh -oh. be easy. You can do yeah. this. You ready? <laughs> okay. Then I feel like a bad Clevelander <laughs> when people no, get you, mad you, at me. You'll Go be ahead. fine. Who coached the Browns in their last winning season? Was it Romeo Cornell, Bill Belichick, or Paul Brown? <laughs> oh, Belichick. <laughs> no, no. I'm sorry. Let's play the play the music there, Mayor. Was it Romeo? <laughs> Romeo Cornell, believe it or not, uh, had a winning season back in 2007. Whoa. I know it was a long time ago, but not that wow. long. That was a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> right, because nobody can remember when the Browns last had a winning season. All right, we're, we'll, we'll put an asterisk on that one. All right, which of these pitchers never won a Cy Young for the Indians? Bob Feller, your hero Gaylord Perry, or Cliff Lee? Did not win a Cy Young? Did not. I don't think any of them want to sign on with the Indians. Uh, no, Gaylord did. Cliff Lee did. Bob Feller did not because the mostly he when he was great it was before the Cy Young existed. Oh, very so, tricky. Very we're gonna tricky. play the music again. Oh man! <laughs> and Tough. finally, which of these famous guys named Drew never played for the Indians? Was it Drew Stubbs? Drew Storin or Tim Drew? <laughs> wow. Good one. This is, uh, this is... Drew Stubbs. Drew Stubbs did play for the Indians. I'm sorry. Drew Tor then the second one. Drew, Drew Torin. It was Drew Storin, right? <laughs> oh, oh, I know it wasn't Tim Drew. <laughs> no, Tim Drew was a number one pick for the Indians. Yeah. 
That was a big yeah. day in your household, I bet, when they picked a Drew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anytime something happens to somebody named Drew, you, you always get really especially, especially excited. <laughs> uh, all right, Drew. I, like, I, I know you've got way more important things to do than talk to us all day, but uh, this has been... This is fun. It was so much fun. Thank you so much. See you guys. Hi, I'm the Athletics Joe Posnanski uh, for Indochino. You know, finding clothes that fit you just right can be incredibly challenging, especially for somebody like me who has uh, a body type I would call um, dumpy. They have you uh, go through this entire fitting process where you give them basically every single bit of information that you have about yourself, uh, you have every measurement you have, uh, who your favorite beetle is, uh, you know, what, what, uh, you believe about the infield fly rule. And, uh, and then you come out and, and they're, they're going to send you, uh, clothes that are, uh, that fit you really better than anything you could possibly get in the store. It's, it's fantastic. Visit one of the Indochino showrooms across North America or book a virtual appointment and shop online at Indochino.com. And right now, you'll get $30 off any purchase of $3.99 or more when you enter the code JOE at checkout. Look at that, JOE. It's for me. JOE at checkout. That's super easy to remember. You go to Indochino.com, and the promo code is JOE. All right, Doug, it's time for one of our favorite parts of every podcast, listener trivia, our wave involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. And once again, this week, we are literally involving you because we continue to invite our listeners onto this podcast to attempt to embarrass us with their <laughs> trivia questions live. But Doug, it's not working. The tide has turned. Uh, Doug, how'd you like to recap how we've done answering these trivia questions live on the show over the last two weeks? Well, we, we started off uh, a little slow. I think we lost eight in a row, just mild, mild setback. Then we began what I call the dynasty period, where we <laughs> got one right and then got a whole nother one right in consecutive weeks. So we just want to keep that going and keep the champagne, the ticker tape parade, parade coming. Yep. So, yeah, we're, we're shooting for three-peat right now. Michael yeah, Jordan, the Chicago Bills, and Starkville all come together <laughs> in this moment right here. That's about right. Uh, yep, we busted our eight-show losing streak, uh, nailed two in a row. So the question is, can we three-peat this week? And we're about to find out because yes. it's time to welcome in this week's distinguished trivia contestant. It's Adam Kane. Adam, welcome to Starkville. Hey guys, how you doing? Happy to be here. Yeah, we're great. Uh, now, now, Adam, uh, judging from your Twitter feed, looks like you're a North Carolina State hoop fan. Uh, I'm speaking as a big Syracuse guy, so I better ask, how'd that happen? <laughs> uh, I went to school there. I just graduated a few months ago from NC State, so everything NC State, I love it. Congratulations there, man. Um, all right, so what, what baseball team do you root for? I'm primarily a Cubs fan. Uh, might might be what you call a WGN Cubs fan. When I started out, um, yeah. <laughs> when I was when I was little, the only games we got on TV was was the Cubs games, and so Derek Lee and the Cubs that was that was my team for the longest time. You, you and still, Glen like, still love the Cubs now. Do you remember Glanville's postseason triple in 2003? 
I was, I was only five then, so I don't think I remember. <laughs> Sorry, there you we'll go, Doug. We'll, we'll just have to keep looping it until it's sort of etched into his memory. <laughs> All right. well, look, look it up. Triple and, for the 2003 yeah, Cubs. Good times. And I lived in, uh, I lived in Cameron Park, actually, for a couple of years, uh, right by NC State. So um, I remember the, uh, the, yeah, beautiful over there at campus. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. And, and now, Adam, I actually thought you might be a Pirates fan because you came up with a really timely Roberto Clemente question that you're about to fire at us. How, how'd you come up with this question? So I do like the Pirates, too. Um, my, my parents both grew up in Pittsburgh. So, um, you know, Cubs are Cubs are my team. My dad likes the Pirates, so we have a little bit of a, a rivalry going. But, yeah, Roberto Clemente was always his hero. He grew up in the 60s and 70s watching the Pirates. And um, so I wanted to come up with something relevant with Roberto Clemente Day and, and thought I could find a way to honor his, his incredible batting, 3,000 hits, and, of course, his, his defense with the 12 gold gloves. So... It's some research on baseball reference, and this is what I came up with. Beautiful. Well, look, Adam, I want you to know that the pressure is on. Not on us. It's on you, because we've gotten right. two of these questions yeah, in we're our reigning, row. We're, we're reigning champions. They're just, everybody's just trying to dethrone us now after our, our that's, legendary that's, streak That's here. right. So, Adam, it's on you to get the listeners back in control <laughs> of this show. Okay? So, all right. Time for you to hit us up with your question. Go for it. All right, guys. Roberto Clemente won the batting title and gold glove in the same season four times. Two other players accomplished this three times. Can you name them? All right. That is, impre- that is an impressive feat. Batting title four and gold glove in the same, same year, year three four. times. All right. So I, I like Ichiro has won for sure. But then who is the other? So I was like, okay, my first thought was Willie Mays, but I don't know if he won enough batting titles, Doug. Um, my next guess was Tony Gwynn. Not sure if he won enough gold gloves. So I started rummaging through all these possibilities. Larry Walker could be a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, Good one. Wade Boggs. I know he has the batting titles. I know he definitely won at least one gold glove. He won a gold glove? Wow. Uh, I thought about Keith Hernandez. He won a mm. ton of gold gloves. Uh, yeah, good one. Joe Maurer, definitely yeah. did both. That's uh, a sleeper. The answer to every trivia question is Todd Helton, so I put him on my <laughs> list. It, it's really hard. This is a really hard question, but uh, I'm going to guess Ichiro and Tony Gwynn, but now Doug, in order to maximize our chances, is going to throw two more names in here. This is totally cheating, but we're going yeah, this Yeah, well, this is Starkville. We're one entity. <laughs> And so we, we get double the guesses after getting swept eight in a row. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the only thing I think of is who had tons of batting titles, right? Because that, that is not simple, right? Um, of course, I love those guesses, by the way. I kind of feel like those are the right answers. I, I, uh-huh. I just think that. But I'm going to still throw in my two extra. <laughs> so, well, one person that always came to mind is Rod Carew. This guy, I don't know how many. He had to win five, six batting titles so i'm gonna throw him in there tons all right so rod carew Uh, then i thought i like you know pujols won some gloves did he win the batting title uh the only other person i thought of quickly off my head was like bill madlock because he seemed to he won like he had to win like three batting titles. i don't think he had the gold gloves but i didn't have any other guesses (laughs) so i will add on to those guesses by saying rod carew (laughs) and bill madlock the the, the more i thought about the question the harder it got so yeah. 
We're just going to have to oh. ask Adam if we've made it three in a row. Is yes. there any chance it's Ichiro, Gwyn, Carew, Madlock, or some combination of that? <laughs> Hate to break it to you guys, but listeners are back on top. Uh, what? Over four. All right. What's, Ooh, what's, the, what's the answer? Correct answer is Carl Yostrzemski and Larry Walker. What? Yeah, it surprised me too. <laughs> Wait, Ichiro didn't do this? Ichiro did it twice, as did Tony Gwynn, as did nice. all these guys you said only did it twice. The oh Yaz. Great question. No idea. Wow. So not only did we not get it. We didn't get any. <laughs> we got them all wrong. <laughs> That's all right. Well, since we don't get partial credit, we can just might as well just be totally wrong. <laughs> you know, it just it just proves that despite what happened the last two weeks, we can still sink to the occasion with the best of them. <laughs> just a talent that we've developed. Uh, like if you if you listen regularly, you know that whether we get the question right or wrong, we still bring in the mayor of Starkville, Mayor Tim. To play yes. some monumental moment that has something to do with the question. Mr. Mayor, I have a feeling this week we're looking at a, Re a Roberto Clemente monumental highlight moment. We sure do, guys. Well, before we get to that, just to give you some credit here, Jason, I want to give you some credit. It's how close you were, even though you uh -oh. didn't get either of them right. <laughs> Ichiro won two batting titles, but in 2007, uh -oh. he won the gold glove and hit 351. He oh, did not no. win the batting Who won title. the batting title? <laughs> I don't know that. And then in 2009, <laughs> he won another gold glove and hit 352 and did not oh win the goodness. batting title. That's so any other, won, any other year, right? That and then guy only for won Gwyn, two batting titles? Oh, my God. Right, only two. Yeah. And then for, for Gwyn, he won eight batting titles and five gold gloves. You just didn't not have enough overlap same. as far oh, as that goes. Wow. you got to be only, kidding. Only two years that he did both. Um, wow. And one more note, just from doing some research on this, uh, Yaz, one of his three years was 1967, and Clemente's fourth time doing it was 1967. So they oh, actually wow. both did it in the same year in the wow. two weeks. That's very cool. That's good but, symmetry there. Yeah. For this soundbite, though, we're going to go to 1971, which was obviously near the end of Roberto Clemente's career, but the great World Series run for the yeah. Pittsburgh Pirates. So October 17th, 1971 was Game 7. That is hit well. A Clemente home run, and the Pirates lead one to nothing. It looked like he hit a breaking pitch right over the plate. That's his 12th hit. He's one short now, tying Bobby Richardson's all-time World Series record of 13 hits in a seven-game World Series. He had a triple and a homer yesterday and a home run today. Wow, how great was that? That was Kurt Gowdy there at the end. Um, wow, that was fun. Adam, what an excellent and timely question. Good work, mm -hmm. and Good you question, stumped man. us. Uh, nice. Thanks for joining us, my friend. All right, thanks a lot, guys. It's great to be here. All right, Adam. Yep, be safe, man. Thanks, Adam. Take care. Remember, next week, this could be you asking us a question and enjoying the spectacle of having us have to start a new trivia losing streak. We'll tell you how to do that a little later in the podcast. But first, one thing we try to do every week in this time is use the trivia question to inspire a topic for the show. So what are we going to talk about this week? Guess what? <laughs> Something we've been I've been thinking about for a while. Roberto Clemente. Uh, we had a day last week where the Pirates and all players from Puerto Rico wore the number 21, and it just felt like they took tremendous pride in doing that so Doug here is my question 
Is it time for baseball to honor Roberto Clemente by doing for him what they've done for Jackie Robinson and retire that number 21 across baseball? Well, Jay, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. And, uh, you know, Roberto Clemente, when you think about this combination, of course, of great talent, because to have the type of longevity, obviously, you know, the tragedy ended that. Uh, you have to be an incredible talent, a 3,000 hits. And the, we, we listen, uh, you, you think about his world championships, uh, Yankee, beat the Yankees in the World Series, that's saying something. But also the fact that his humanitarian causes and, and just his social sensitivities uh, that he really fought for all people was something that made baseball become this transformational game. And you talk about opening up Latin America in ways that you can't even explain on what he meant to these communities. But he also fought for uh, everyone and everybody about equity and equality, uh, whether it's for poverty and those impoverished, whether it was sort of bringing in the, the diversity around language. That was something he would unapologetically give his interviews and still take on issues regardless. And 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 sometimes in the, in the media, they would try to, they'd write out what he said uh, phonetically in ways, almost in an embarrassing way to try to, you know, in cases make him look bad at different times. And he still would fight through that and gain certain mastery of just his ability to communicate. And, you know, take 1968, for example, uh, a tremendous year in sports and society. Think about the Olympics uh, with, with John Carlos and, and these figures. Well, here, Martin Luther King is killed in April of 1968. And his funeral was scheduled for opening day. Uh, I think it was April 9th uh, in, uh, for Major League Baseball. Other sports had canceled. And baseball was still kind of hanging on to possibly play. And Clemente was one of the figures that said, no, we need to not play today. And he really, through his, his, his leverage and influence, uh, shut down baseball. And eventually baseball all across the league agreed to that. So he always had causes for even perfect strangers to be able to stand up for the occasion. And so when you think about baseball, of course, we think about the legacies of great players and what that meant to being part of our culture and as our society embraced the sport. Of course, we know the talent and the moments of great, uh, you know, great figures in our game. But there's also something that becomes really indelible to our sport, and that is elevating all people, really, and, and having sports have a platform to bring people together and remind us that we're all in this together. That, to me, is what Roberto Clemente embodied. And, uh, you know, I got to know Roberto Clemente Jr., and he talks about his dad said to him that, I want you to suffer in life to have a certain appreciation. So he was so selfish. He's away from his family and then treated basically the world as his family's. And that's a I think that meets the mark of, of what Jackie Robinson, uh, having 42 retired, where 21 should be right there with him. Uh, yeah, I agree with you on that. And uh, Doug, a couple of years ago, I, I moderated a uh, roundtable uh, on MLB Network uh, talking about Roberto Clemente with Pedro Martinez and Harold Reynolds. And uh, Pedro said that day, Roberto Clemente is the biggest icon who has ever passed through Latin America, and he always will be. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, to think that he, this is just about the impact that he had on, say, players from Puerto Rico is very short-sighted. Um, 
He had an incredible impact across Latin America. But here is the other question, because I think this is part of what has stood in the way of baseball doing this. Um, look, obviously, Jackie Robinson and Roberto Clemente lived two different lives. They had two different experiences. Uh, I, I would say that part of the thinking on retiring number 42 has been that Jackie Robinson clearly didn't just change baseball. He changed our nation. He changed our world. I actually think that Clemente did that too, but in a different way. Doug, do you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, it, it you know, Jackie Robinson, because of the pioneering nature in some ways, because it was so clearly a color line. Uh, I think that sort of marked this moment. I mean, Major League Baseball was integrated because of Jackie Robinson, effectively in terms of <clears throat> in terms of the color line, before the United States military. I mean, he his his moment was before the rest of our country embraced integration on any level. Uh, and so I, you know, there's so there's definitely markers that set it apart. Uh, but I also look at Roberto Clemente in in a similar way culturally, right? The 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 way he challenged us to really think about language, about identity, about color, about you know sport, global. I mean, this was this is where it sort of created this larger expansion. As you mentioned, this way beyond Puerto Rico. I mean, he and you know he played for Pittsburgh. He would be engaged in the black community and and just was able to sort of live in so many different places. So um, so yes, I do think because. There's it's a little more understated about how he really did transcend, you know, sort of a, a box of identity, and and you think about our game today. I mean, you're talking high twenty, nearly thirty percent of the players, hailing from Latin America, and and so many of those players, I would probably pretty much all the players recognize Clemente's impact and the possibility that came behind him. So our game was would be completely different without him. Um, and conversely, you know, in the African-American black population, you have only 8%, 7-8% of the players. So there's a, there's a large continuity with Clemente that hasn't waned, as you said, some of these players had mentioned to you. And, uh, and I think that's what his legacy seems to continue to sustain. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a great point. Um, Harold Reynolds made the point on our roundtable that if you include the minor leagues, uh, it's close to 50% of all players in professional baseball are Latino. Um, can you connect those dots to Clemente? I think that you can. Uh, I think you can make that case, and I hope baseball makes it at some point in the very near future. All right, before we go, we like to spend a few minutes talking about the craziest, the strangest, the truest stuff that we saw in the last week. Strange but true. Doug, I know you want to talk about a strikeout, but not just any strikeout. <laughs> Let's hear this crazy strikeout. <laughs> Two of his four years with the Braves. There's the slider down after the fastball, and they'll throw to third for a force out. You never see that. Well, I didn't see it because I looked at my scorecard. So I'll go to third. I'm like, what I miss? Gomes had nobody to throw to at first. It was Bob Carpenter and F.P. Santangelo on Masson. Yes, Doug, just another routine strikeout here in the year 
2020. <laughs> Why did that one catch your eye? Oh, well, first of all, the beauty of it, right? Two, five. Okay, so, you know, strike out. Normally, yeah. you know, you go to first, get the guy. But no, they go to third because nobody was over there on that side of the field. Basically, they had right. some crazy shift on, and so he's like, you know, he looked and said, "Well, there's nobody there unless I do like a timing pattern, and that's not going to work." So his best play was to third base. So he got the two five. <laughs> so I started to envision like maybe we're thinking of 2020 differently. We we kind of respond to these completely wacky things that happen and say, oh, that was unusual. I think we should start anticipating crazy, right? So so I was thinking, what if you had strikeout K and then 1-9? Like, is that possible? It ricochets off of, well, say we're at Wrigley. It ricochets off the brick, comes back, the pitcher gets it, the right fielder is covering first base. I mean, does that happen? So I, I just figured we just go off the rails, and uh, I decided to write a few down. Uh, K-1-9, K-2-7. <laughs> K three unassisted, <laughs> K two eight, <laughs> and then of course K one unassisted as it ricochets and the pitcher runs over and steps on first base. Because I'm like, why not? Why not? I'm trying. I'm trying to take off the edge of my shock and awe by now anticipating impossible scoring. And with all the shifting, I don't even know who's where anyway. So I think any number is possible. So I figured, why not? Let's just do it. So that that's what I'm, I'm trying to be proactive here. That, that explains everything in 2020. Why the heck not? <laughs> I, just, I mean, just so you know, I asked uh, my friends at Stats Perform to look into that play. Uh, they went through all strikeouts back to 1974. Uh, there were only 13 strikeouts. This is almost half a century in which the out on the strikeout was not recorded either on the whiff itself or, or the guy running to first base. Um, I have a whole list. I'll send them to you. You'll enjoy them. But um, oh, yeah. it, I, I'm going to guess it would not surprise you to know that of the 13, two of them are in the last two weeks. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> that's that's Because it's 2020. Why not? Right. Uh, all right, Doug, I, I want to talk about the wildest game of the season, uh, one I wrote about in my latest useless Info column. Braves 29, Marlins <laughs> 9 last Wednesday. When these games happen, my phone – blows up right i said i know something's happening uh i need to find it i did <laughs> i watched this game i don't want to talk about all the hitting in this game i want to talk about two pitching feats that were just insane okay the first is jordan yamamoto he was the first reliever out of the marlins bullpen in that game doug he gave up 13 runs in relief <laughs> He threw 94 pitches and got eight outs. <laughs> okay. So, uh, look this up. Did you know no starting pitcher has given up 13 runs in a game in six years? So, oh that's, that means we've had more than 25,000 consecutive starts without a starting pitcher doing it. Oh but Jordan goodness. Yamamoto did it in relief. <laughs> Unbelievable! They just left them out there. They just somebody had beached, to wear it. A, be, a beached whale. Just leave them out there. You know, you had to get the, had to get those twenty four out somehow. They were not coming real quick. <laughs> no. And then the the other great pitching feat in that game, uh, Bryce Wilson of the Braves. What did he do? He got a save in a game. 
His team <laughs> won by 20 runs. <laughs> so you're asking yourself, how did that happen? It's 2020. Uh, he pitched the last four innings. Uh, his team did not blow a 20-run lead. That is a save, pal. But it's not just any save. It's the first save in National League history by a guy whose team won the game by 20 <laughs> runs. Okay, so we've had the prices right in this podcast. What about the Bryce's right? All right, that's going to do it for one of our favorite Starkvilles ever. Uh, let's remind you again, Starkville is now available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and follow Starkville on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you find your podcasts. And of course, you can still locate us at the Athletic app and the Athletic website. Also, if you'd like to read our work or any of the remarkable writing on our site, there is no better sports writing being done anywhere than you'll find in The Athletic. So if you've thought about subscribing, we're currently offering an incredible special, just $1 a month. So check us out. You'll be grateful that you did. Also remember that you too can be part of this podcast, just like Adam Kane today. We are now inviting the listener who submits the most fun trivia question of the week to join us right here on the podcast. And prove once again, there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't mess up. <laughs> uh, to do that, you just need to submit a great question. Here's how you do it. You can email it to us at, at starkvilleattheathletic.com. Or you can do what Adam did today, what most people do, hit us up on Twitter. If you wanted to tweet at Doug Glanville, for instance, how would someone do that? Oh, yeah. At Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A. N-V-I-L-L-E. Yep, and you can find me at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T, Jason with a Y-S-T. Just hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. Okay, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to the great Drew Carey for visiting us. Thanks to Adam Kane for the trivia question, even though we got it wrong. Thanks to our mayor, Tim McMaster, for producing us, for putting up with us, for playing the great prices Right jingles and thanks to you all for listening we will see you next week on starkville